0: We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man. Men from Moto digital strategies with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Intellects vast, cool, and unsympathetic broadcast to the world with the uncanny help of Deprived and face 2 Greetings people of Earth. We are the men from Moto and you're listening to episode 60, Masters of the Universe. My name is David Seville and I have Travis Sowers on the line with me. How are you, sir? I'm fantastic, David. How are you? I am excellent. Um, how's your cube been this week?
1: I've had a lot of fun with the cube. Uh, I've I forced myself out of only drafting green-blue ramp. It's it's difficult when I see a late opposition. Actually, that's not true. I just take it, and all of a sudden I'm blue then anyway. But I, I have let the upheavals go now and then. I've had some fun decks. Aggro decks, control decks. I had a fun blue-white deck today. Uh, randomly, a lot of two ones. But, I mean, that's fine. I'm getting to play, and I'm getting my entry feedback. Uh So I'm, I'm happy. Like I said, this is my favorite cube, so I could draft this for...
0: Another month to be tickled. I uh I did a couple of cubes myself on stream. It was fun. Um didn't do very well. Had a couple of two ones and a one-two. Um but it is good time, you know. For for the six tickets it cost me over three drops. I'm I'm pretty happy with where I'm at, but I think I might be done with it.
1: It can be very swingy. Martin on stream described it as a bit of a tilt cube. Because usually when you beat your opponent, it's not like you just narrowly got the victory. It's you did something stupid and destroyed them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, it, it, like I have experienced that too. There was one day while I was I was streaming it, and I I forget exactly what they did, but it, it got me to the point where it's like I don't want to play anymore. Oh, it was Kiki Combo. I, I got them to one. They're dead on the next swing. They have one card in hand. They untap, cast uh, Zealous Conscripts into uh, Splinter Twin. So I know they drew one of them. I'm like, well, there you go. That was that was awesome. I'm done. So, like, Tilt Cube is a thing. But short of that, I, th- I think it's a very good format.
0: I do like that it's not nearly as powerful as the Vintage Cube. So, like, mm-hmm. it is swingy, but it's nowhere near as swingy. Um, you feel like you have some control over the game. Um, the worst part for me was getting my turn one elves, like, nuked nine times out of ten. That was the most yeah. disappointing thing. But other than that, it was, it was pretty good. I will... Probably draft it one more time here before masters, um, and then do a little bit of masters, and we'll see how I feel about the format. Okay, and we've always got dominaria around the corner, so it's a true story. And as we saw last week, it looks pretty, pretty, pretty spicy.
1: Yeah, they're showing off some of the art. Have you seen the art on Phyrexian scriptures?
0: Uh, yeah, that was that was pretty cool. So that was a a saga card oh that uh, came out from last week. Yeah, and um. Yeah, it, it looks amazing. The uh, the vertical art, the scroll on the left, the art on the right, and the, the throwback and the art to like Dark Ritual, um, and Phyrexian Altar and things like that it looks really cool. Oh yeah, they're just doing some really cool stuff with this. I'm very excited about Dominaria. Me too. All right. Um, you've got some other stuff going on this week. You've got uh, Streamer Showdown on Thursday, if I understand correctly.
1: Correct. That's at 4 Eastern. Um, it's a streamer showdown, just one, one pod this time with, uh, eight streamers. I'm one of them drafting masters 25. So I'm pretty excited about that. And it means I've got a a pretty compelling interest in playing this as much as I can on Wednesday, which is today. As soon as this podcast goes live. Yeah. Um, So if you want to come by and watch me drafting this, I'll be doing that all day.
0: Uh, Yeah, like um, this is a little different for us. Normally we release on Fridays, record on Thursdays. But this week we are releasing early. And the reason for that is is because Masters 25 is getting an early release on Magic Online. So once again, being the online uh, masters that we are, for lack of a better term, uh, we get rewarded. So looking forward to that. Uh, That coincides with your streamer showdown on Thursday. Uh, Cube, luckily enough, though, for people that still enjoy Cube, is going on until Friday. So you kind of have, like, all of your options available to you if you're playing Magic Online this week. Yeah, you can draft whatever
1: you want. It's great.
0: It is fantastic.
1: Um, And not too far off on the horizon before we dive in here... It was about a month ago that it was said on the Arena channel that in the next month, the NDA would be dropping for Arena. Now, it's possible that they meant sometime during March, uh, but I would guess we are are less than three weeks away from being able to stream Arena.
0: That would be something. Um, it'd be curious to see where about they are in that, um, meaning is draft available you know, what formats are available and constructed and things like that. But um, the fact that they are uh, going to lift the NDA soon, it looks like, is quite positive for you. You're going to stream it a lot, but it's also positive for us because we can talk about it. Uh, and it'll fill the gap between now and, and Dominaria, hopefully. So look forward to that. Um, and then finally, before we actually get into our master set review, um, we wanted to mention the Patreon again. So for those that don't know, maybe you're a new listener or something, we have a, a Patreon um and rewards are going to start happening this month uh we started officially the patreon we launched it last episode so uh if you, that's something you're interested in if you're interested in uh giving us your support your financial support uh, maybe you're a fan of the podcast and you're just thinking you know i i love these guys so much maybe i can throw them a dollar patreon is a great way to do that and if you check the rewards there um there's other opportunities for for you to interact with us um, at the very least, you will get access to the, the pregame show, the mic check that we do uh, at the start of every episode. And then also there's uh, you know draft reviews and and asking questions on the podcast and things like that. So go there, check it out. That's patreon.com slash menfrommodo. All right. Are you just ready to dive right in? Yeah, let's get cracking at these. All right, let's do it. So where do you want to start with Masters? You want to start with talking about what the set looks like to you from an archetype perspective, Or do you just want to start diving into cards and and talking about it that way?
1: I think it's probably better to go in and look at cards. Uh, We discussed this a little bit in the mic check, but I I think this is sort of like a high-power core set, and the color pairs are mostly doing what they do, which is going to lead you to individual card power level. Um, I I think if
0: you view this as a very high-powered core set, you're probably in a good place. Okay. Okay. And and what do you mean by a core set, though? So for people that maybe haven't played Magic in, you know, maybe they started after the last core set was released uh, or after Magic Origins was released, what what do you mean when you say that it's a core set?
1: Well, the idea with a core set was essentially there were going to be lots of vanilla creatures, not as many mechanics or synergies or cards that intertwined with each other, and basically a simpler, cleaner form of Magic. Um, and that was something that that was released... God, what did they do from Magic 2010 all the way through Origins? And I really enjoyed the way that those core sets played. I, I I think what I mean when I say this is a powered up core set is that we're not playing with like grizzly bears, but it doesn't look like there's so much synergy that, that this is going to seem something like, I don't know, Eldritch Moon, where you were looking to build in combos in your deck, you know, things to uh, emerge off of or spells to, to use with your pinger, or even Ixalon where we had like, I need to draft a bunch of vampires. Instead, we're going to look at a pack, pick the best card out of it, and then make a deck out of best cards. And within that, there's a few synergies. And I, I've even seen one combo deck, combo-ish deck, so far that you can draft. Uh, we'll get to that as we go through the cards. But I think generally speaking, you're just going to be picking powerful cards and trying to determine the open colors, as opposed to you know first picking a vampire lord
0: and going all in right so your combos are going to be constrained to smaller numbers of cards specifically um there's there's a couple of cool combos in here that, that i've looked at already um but really you're drafting to the color pair and less of a defined archetype um you know there's a token sub theme for example but that doesn't necessarily mean that you know if you play white black you're playing tokens for example there's a lot of these little tiny sub themes that you might all fit together in a color pair so would you say that it's a more straightforward draft strategy than at that point? Um, like, like back to the days of picking solid removal spells, evasive creatures, things like that. Or, or are you still kind of looking to, to break the format open?
1: I mean, I'm going to look to draft the best deck I can I, more straightforward. No, I, I think my definition of a very straightforward format and and one that's less fun for me is something that's on rails, One of my least favorite draft formats of all time was the original Modern Masters. That was some of the most boring drafting I have ever experienced. Once you were in the first three picks and you figured out what was open, you just took the the one card out of the pack that was good in your deck and horrible in anyone else's decks. Because the archetypes were so firmly defined that there was just there was no room for creativity, right? Like I drafted that like three times and I was completely done with it. Whereas some this looks like it might be something that, that can be a lot of fun. It's entirely open. I can pick whatever I want and draft whatever I want. Um and I also think I'll be rewarded for figuring out what colors are open. So like this seems to me like going back to what what I think draft is supposed to be. Um with plenty of mana sinks, and I'm like
0: ridiculously excited to get in here and play this. Um did you take a look at the fixing? How do you think that'll oh. play into the uh the color um drafting your color combinations or being able to splash, for example.
1: The fixing is fantastic in this set. Um, it is absolutely staggering compared to what we've had lately. Uh, so I'm, I'm very excited about that, especially if you know where to find it and what to do with it. And I'll, I'll help you through that because there's some of these cards, if you haven't played with them before, you may not recognize how good of fixers they are. Uh, but it basically means that if you want to splash a single colored card in any of your decks, you'll probably be able to do that. Uh, so it's it it makes those double colored cards a little bit more valuable because they should make it to the people that actually want them.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So when scrolling through the, the spoiler list here, um, some of the things that I noticed from a mechanic perspective are uh, cycling and morph. So you mentioned having mana sinks. Um, there are also... I saw at least one of the um invokers, the eight mana activated creatures. I don't I didn't see if there were more, but um so just having cycling and morph already leads to this being an interesting uh draft format from a from a gameplay perspective. So having things and we talked about this many times, but having things to do with your mana usually makes for a good draft experience. So I'm pretty excited about that. Are there any kind of other mechanics that you've seen um that are common on on, on more cards in this set that kind of stand out to you as making it for making for an interesting draft format or is it pretty much just cycling and uh, and morph
1: cycling and morph for the big two um and there's some variants on that that we can kind of get into i did want to mention right as we're going in here that they kept the cons rule for morphs uh could you explain that for folks who maybe didn't draft in cons
0: yeah, I'm struggling to remember exactly what it was, but basically um, all of the three mana and four mana morphs traded with each other, or at least didn't die when they blocked each other. So there was an, an 05 defender, I think, that you could flip up. Um, but basically anything that you played early, if your opponent was flipping it, it would trade um, if you flipped yours as well. Whereas once you got over five mana, then you started to get the blowout potential um, where you could, you know, flip over uh, an Abzan guide or a Woolly on and really mess with your opponent. But before that, it was pretty straightforward. You know, it was a 3-2 attacking into a 2-3 or a, a 2-2 attacking into an 0-5 or something like that. Um, and you were very yeah. safe. You could never really get blown out on on three and four mana with your morphs.
1: Yeah, and that was it. You don't even have to be able to unmorph yours like if your opponent is attacking you with a morph and they have four mana up, you you are good to go to block. And that's not to say they can't have combat tricks. They certainly can. But just flipping the morph won't mess you up. Mm-hmm. Um, in other formats, actually one of the cards that made that so miserable is in this set, uh, Skirk Commando. It's a, a morph that when you flip it, if it deals damage to a player, it also deals two damage to a creature that player controls. Now, and in the format that was originally in, there was also a first strike that unmorphed for the same cost. So you were playing the shell game where you're like, do I block their morph or not block their morph? Just block their morphs. If they've got four or less mana up, you're good to
0: go. Would, and that's And that's a good rule to know because it, it does take away that shell game, that randomness, um, you know, hearth-stony for the lack of a better term, early, uh, and that just makes for good gameplay in the long term. But then you also have good morph cards that we'll go into, but uh, Ruthless Ripper is back. Good Ruth. Um, where you can just flip it over and it's got death touch. So there are still potential blowouts later on in the game, um, which makes for some exciting kind of mid to late gameplay and, and exciting top deck. So I, I look forward to it. I love morphs. Con's block was great, um, and cycling is great, and just having those two mechanics in the format I think will make this for uh, make make for an interesting format. I, I look forward to it.
1: Yeah, we talked a lot about what we would want in a format.
0: This format has all of it. So uh, like like I said, I'm, I'm very excited to play this. Yeah, it kind of does have all of it. I can't really, you know, be down on the format because it does have everything that we talked about. You have mana sinks. Um, I guess it doesn't necessarily have the fixing in the lands, but it looks pretty good.
1: The it, Trust me, the fixing here is way better
0: than you think it is, and I'll walk you through how. Perfect. So you want to just get started? Let's go into white. We'll do what we normally do. We'll talk about key commons and uncommons. Sure, sure.
1: Okay. Uh, I'll start us off then with Angelic Page, which is 1 and a white for a 1-1 one, one flyer. You may tap it to give target attacking or blocking creature plus 1, plus 1 until end of turn. We've seen this effect before on Infantry Veteran, and I think Infantry Veteran is better. You are paying 1 white for the effect and losing the flying. Uh, this gives you the opportunity to at least poke a little bit in the air while you're doing it. There's also a minor auras theme going around here, so you might put an enchantment on it and make use of that. But really what you're trying to do is make blocking miserable for your opponent. Uh, This also does pump your blockers, which Infantry Veteran did not. So if you've got a 2-2, you can technically trade that for a 3-3 when they attack. Uh, So I think this is a pretty high-value card.
0: Yeah, um, not having mana not needing mana to activate it also makes it very good. We've seen obviously a similar card in the the vampire one in in the uh, ixalan block. So this is this is just a good card. It makes combat annoying for your for your opponents on both sides, which is lucky. And uh, this was the first card that I kind of had as a as a standout card myself.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. I also wanted to mention Cloud Shift um, at at common. This is kind of a big deal. It's one one white for an instant, exile target creature you control, then return that card to the battlefield under your control. So what we've got here is sort of a one-man and a gate for removal, as well as a way to re trigger and enter the battlefield ability that you're interested in. Add both of those together, and this is not an embarrassing card to main deck in most of your white decks. I'm not saying you need to go out of your way to pick it. I'm saying you can play this with, you know, one or two enter the battlefield abilities and still be pretty happy about it, right? Like, they attack their hill giant into your hill giant and they use a combat trick. You're like, okay, cool, cloud shift, I'll keep my guy. And then yeah. the, the ceiling just goes up from there.
0: Yeah, and there are a lot of good enter the battlefield effects um, in pretty much every single color, so you should be able to play this in any color combination that you draft. Um would you main deck it if you didn't have a lot of enter the battlefield effects? Just as, as like you said, a one mana white negate?
1: Maybe. There's actually some better versions of that. Uh, but if, if, like, God's Willing is in the set, for example. So if, if I could get that, I would probably go for that instead. If I have stone no enter the battlefield abilities. and it, But, like, if it's a 23rd card scenario, sure.
0: Okay. All right. Um, One card that's interesting to me here is... Um, uh, I'm going to go with Fencing Ace, not because I think that it's good, but because usually this indicates that there's some kind of enchantment uh, aura a sub theme. So Fencing Ace is one and a white for a 1-1 one, one double strike. And the last time we saw this, um, the idea was, is that you suited this thing up with as much as you could. Um, what was the, the Ethereal Armor? Was that the one that I'm thinking of in uh, Ravnica block? Return to Ravnica block?
1: Oh, yeah, there was that, there was Knight's Valor, there was all sorts of stuff to put on it.
0: hmm and so the idea is, is that you suit this thing up with as much as possible, protect it in any way with your God's Willing or whatever you can, and you're nugging them for 4, 8, 12 damage a turn, hopefully by turn 4. And um, this, this leads me to believe that this is something that they've tried to support as a sub-theme, um, but I'm not 100% certain that, that it's something that will be playable. There is also Auromancer, in the set um, and it looks like it's at common it's tough to tell with these symbols so both of these being at common maybe leads me to believe that there is a white enchantment aggressive style deck built around fencing ace and the ability to recur some of your enchantments so potential for some combos here with the fencing ace and um, it can get out of control if if your opponent can back it up so be aware of that card
1: yeah it's it's there i don't know that i'd go all in on it I also found the Oromancer a little interesting uh, because they have some of the enchantment creatures in here uh, from Theros block. So like Nyx Fleece Ram, Centaur, um, God, what's the name of the darn thing?
0: Uh, Courser uh, of Crufix. Courser
1: of Crufix. that's the one I'm thinking of. So mm-hmm. there's a few enchantment creatures that you could get back with your Oromancer. So it, it may be a little better here than it has been in the past.
0: Some neat little combos in there. Mm-hmm. And then right next to fencing ace is the fiend hunter, uh, which is just kind of a solid white removal spell. One white, white for a one three. When feed hunters, Fiend hunter enters the battlefield, it may exile target creature. Um, and when it leaves the battlefield, return the exiled creature to the battlefield under its owner's control. Um, now, the thing is, this has the O-ring style of text on it. So it's possible that if you remove your fiend hunter, uh, that your opponent's creature would just never come back. That's correct, right?
1: Yeah, if you had a cloud shift, for example, mm-hmm. and played this, put the trigger on the stack, cloud shifted it. Uh, you will not only remove one thing permanently; you'll also put something
0: else under it. So keep that in mind that you can combo off with this in in certain ways. You can also remove it with anything else, obviously, like a doom blade, for example, um, to permanently remove your opponent's thing. Um, but also, if if you if your opponent plays a fiend hunter be aware that you don't want to destroy (laughs) this with the trigger on the stack. You will lose your thing permanently.
1: Yeah. There's some sacrifice effects in black. So I think in a black-white deck, you would be interested in potentially playing this and just sacking it with that on the stack to get the sacrifice effect and then just make sure it's gone. Make sure it's gone. So some interesting combos there. Uh, Another one for me was Dauntless Cathar. Uh, This was an interesting one from Shadow's Block. Two and a white for a 3-2. You can then spend one and a white to exile it from your graveyard and make a 1-1 one, one white spirit creature token with
0: flying. Yeah, this is a pretty solid card back in the in the Shadows block. Um, I was picking this highly out of bad packs early. So if your rare was bad and your uncommons weren't good, I was first picking Dauntless Cathar over a lot of cards. Um, just having the ability to spend your mana on something after this dies um, and then having that something be relevant, so a 1-1 one, one flyer, for just two mana is is pretty good rate so um yeah this is going to be a staple i think in, in a lot of white decks i would pick this highly if i know that i'm white and i need creatures
1: yeah i think it's i think it's fantastic it's it's almost like a one and a half for one just stapled on there right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what was next on your list of cards you were interested in
0: a card that i've never played but reading it made it seem very interesting to me it's a, it's a first morph uh corona's zealot it's four and a white for a two five um, and obviously you can play it face down for three and it's got more for three white white so five mana when it's turned face up all damage that would be dealt to it this turn is instead dealt to target creature so you block something and you either kill the something that was attacking you uh, or you kill something else and the thing that was attacking you if it's small enough um, or you kill something big on your opponent's side of the cre- of the table depending on what your opponent is attacking you with um the reason it interests me is because obviously i've never played it um but it seems like it's a very good effect for an expensive morph cost so you're kind of weighing the the pros and cons of having this card in your deck um have you played with this card is this card you're familiar with
1: i have not played with it this was an onslaught block which is while i was out Uh, so i would have to speculate on this too I, I still think my my concern about it is like you have to be able to flip this one in combat. Mm-hmm. So I think you'll be attacking with it to make it flip rather than just sitting there and hoping your opponent attacks you with it. Uh, as long as you're happy with that, that seems great. Now, the set it was originally in, if I understand correctly, was an all-creatures uh, or, or at least very heavy creature-focused block. So you had a lot of spell-like effects on creatures, Uh, So we, I I don't think we've experienced it in a format quite like this one, Uh, but this was also another one that I was very interested in. I just, I kind of had to caution myself that I think I'm going to have to attack with this as a morph to be able to get to flip it in combat.
0: Yeah. It, it it almost plays like a divine verdict. Yeah. Right. Exactly. A five mana double white divine verdict that leaves a creature behind. Now the body itself is fine as a morph. A two five is pretty good as a morph. It's not going to kill anything outright just with the two damage. Um, so I guess it depends. I think it probably plays in either role if you're attacking with it or you can block with it. The downside is if you're blocking with it, then you have to leave the mana open. Whereas if you're attacking with it, it's like a semi-bluff and you and you know if you're going to spend the mana when they block or not. Um, so I, I do like that of, of being attacking with it. Just I, I would be more aggressive with it like you would as opposed to defensive with it. And it seems like, though, that that the natural leaning on this card would be to be defensive with it when it's face down because of the five toughness uh, and because you get to potentially eat anything. So just be aware that if you have something better to do with your mana, you should probably attack with it. I would say if you don't have anything to do with your mana, I would probably defend with it, right? Like if you've got no cards in hand um, and and you don't really have a necessarily good attack, with it if it's like, you know, if if you pretend it's any other morph and you're like, well, I'm not going to attack with it because I don't want to lose my morph creature, you might be able to bait an attack out with it from your opponent. Um but if you have something to do with your mana, I would rather do that instead, I think a lot of the time.
1: Sure, and it'll get better with other morphs and other instants too, right? Mm-hmm. Like anywhere else you can spend your mana at the end of your opponent's turn will make it better.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately this is not a morph that you want to just flip over at the end of your opponent's turn. So you want to be comboing it with instance or other morphs or things like that like if you drafted four or five morphs around this one I think this becomes very very good or at least the ability becomes better than it looks yeah I mean it looks pretty good so i I think this is a reasonable card okay um what do you have next on on your list so the next
1: one for me is a card I'm very interested to see the entire cycle is here and this is one of the things that got me most excited about this format and it's noble Templar. So this is 5 and a white for a 3-6 Vigilance with Planes Cycling 2. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. So I'm familiar so, with cycling. Mm-hmm. Not so familiar with Planes Cycling.
1: So there's one in here for each color. Swamp Cycling, Forest Cycling, Mountain Cycling. You get the idea. What this is is you spend 2 and discard it, but instead of drawing a card, you get a Planes out of your deck and put it into your hand. Have you ever been in a scenario, in Hour of Devastation draft, where you've got two lands and a cycler, and you're like, if I hit my third land, this hand is gas, and you cycle and don't hit it?
0: More times than I care to count. That cannot happen
1: with Noble Templar. This is not cycling. You are drawing a specific card. So having it in here is already a little bit better in some scenarios than a regular cycler, because if you're looking for land, it will always find you that. And the other huge advantage of this, is, and why I said the fixing is so good in this set, this is fixing. So typically, I'm not... I can play this in a white deck, but usually I'm going to play this in a red-black deck where I'm splashing a pacifism, because I can put one planes and two of these in that deck, go find the planes if I need it, or if the game has gone late and I've already drawn the planes, well, fine, I've, I've got a slightly overcosted costed 3-6 Vigilance and all of the creatures are like that. They're slightly overcosted, but that's what you're doing to pay for that flexibility. So this gives you the fixing to splash in any deck that you want to play, as well as just being a way to assure that you're going to hit land drops in a a deck of the same color. So I, I rate all of these land cyclers very heavily.
0: Now, are they heavy enough that you would pick them early without knowing that you're splashing, or do you do you do you take your splash cards first and then pick these up after that? Um, do you remember Vintage Masters?
1: I didn't play it. Okay. But do you remember me bragging about my win rate in it? I do. The plane cyclers, or excuse me, the, some of the land cyclers were in that format, and I took them as, as early as I could. So like, there were some bombs that I would take over them, but I usually had two of the mountain cycling cougars in my 3-0 decks. Uh, and I, I was picking them pretty highly because other people were too. So like, I would take removal or legitimate bombs, like you land it and your opponent can't beat it over these. After that, I start to get pretty interested. I don't really want four in the same deck, but I want to make sure that I walk away with a draft with at least one, almost no matter what I'm doing, and then probably two or three if I'm trying to splash.
0: Okay, I mean, that's good, right? Because um, we, we talk about frequently when we're drafting cube, um picking lands highly and this is kind of the same thing right picking your your land cyclers highly and it's it's no cost in your deck or i mean i mean everything everything's a cost but like it's not i mean two two colorless mana is 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 nothing it's basically like you don't have to play 18 lands to play these you don't have to skew your mana base to play these you're literally just putting one planes in your deck and a, and a couple of plane cyclers and you're good to go so um yeah, I can take that. It's a very
1: low opportunity cost for something that's remarkably flexible.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, and then obviously don't be afraid don't don't be afraid to not play them if you don't find the bomb, right? Like if you don't end up with a pacifism, and you don't end up like like you know what I mean, like like if you don't end up with cards that are worth splashing, don't feel like you have to splash because you picked up two of these plane cyclers early, for example, right?
1: Oh, sure, but if you end up white, I'll probably just put them in the deck anyway and be pretty happy about it. Mm-hmm. Okay. it. It's also worth noting with these and some of the other cards, like, it's a rare and it's way down the list, but Living Death is in this format too. So, like, if, if you happen to get one of those in a lot of cycling creatures, you can really do something stupid.
0: Right. Okay, and like you said, the whole cycle is here so that's, uh everybody can get it in any color that they want. Great. Uh, you mentioned pacifism is... is, is- in the set, excuse me. Um, so classic art is back on the pacifism for those that like that. Um, everybody knows what that is at this point. Just be aware of it. Uh, ooh, Squadron Hawk.
1: Yeah, I was kind of excited to see this too. I really like Squadron Hawk.
0: So there's a, a, a quote unquote cycle of these cards as well. The, the gotta catch them all cycle. There's one in every color. So Squadron Hawk is the white version of it. Um, one in a white for a flying, white, sorry, a uh, flying one, one when it enters the battlefield, you may search your library for up to 3 cards named Squadron Hawk, reveal them and put them into your hand and then shuffle your library. And it's a common, so you should be able to see a couple of these in this in uh, in a draft. Now, what what style of deck does this go in, would you say? Uh generally one with planes. <laughs> would you play it in any planes deck? I kind of I kind of see it more as like a like a control style card, like a card that you can um, you know, control the game, lock it down, and then when you're at six or seven mana, you end up just dumping a bunch of Squadron Hawks on the board. It also, I mean, it's essentially, if you have four of them, it's two mana, make a one, one, draw three cards. Um, I guess if you had equipment or auras, you could put them on these things as well, but um, does it really just go in any kind of deck if you have two or three?
1: Did you draft M11?
0: Uh, no, actually, I didn't draft M11. It, it goes in every white deck. You need three. So you need three to it, play. If you have two, don't play them.
1: Uh, if you have two, you can play them. It's a little embarrassing. If you have one, don't play it. I, I, I didn't always pick them highly enough to end up with three, but every time I did, I was super happy to have them, right? Like, one meta 1-1 one, one flyer is almost a card, and we're paying a premium for that, but the fact that, like, you can play this out and then go fetch two other ones, you don't have to augment them, right? Like, think of Spectral Procession, right? Like, one card that got you three one one flyers, Obviously, that was a better rate, and you didn't have to work so darn hard for it. But like, this is still getting us a similar effect. It's like a bad lingering souls or a bad spectral procession. They're still quite good, so I, I was typically quite happy to play these in any white deck.
0: Okay, I, that's fair. That's enlightening to me, right? Because you know, we kind of the mantra in drafting is like your your one mana or your sorry, you're flying one ones like for two mana generally aren't very good. And and you're not looking to play them because they don't do anything in the mid to late game. But I guess being able to draft or to 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 play multiples of them for four, or six, eight man or whatever you've got um, does kind of ramp up the rate there a bit.
1: Yeah, I think so. And and as you, all of the things that you said about them are also true. Like a deck with Rancor is going to be able to abuse these a, a lot easier than a deck without it. Um, that said, I, I don't need anything to want to play the three Squadron Hawks I drafted other than planes in my deck.
0: Okay. That's fair. See, I'm getting schooled on all of this. Yeah, I take for granted that I started, you know, like M13 or whatever it was, whatever the one before Return of Ravnica was. So like I missed out on a lot of these iconic cards, for lack of a better term.
1: I'm glad you're going to get to play with it. There's some fun cards.
0: Hmm. Um, Swords of the Plowshares in the set. So solid removal. There's some really good removal so far.
1: Yeah. Swords of the Plowshares
0: is your, your single white instant exile target creature. I mean, it's got extra text on it, but it doesn't really matter
1: yeah cool um and it's worth mentioning two more here uh just because they don't really look like real cards but they are Urbis protector is four white white for a one one when it enters the battlefield you make a four four white angel creature token with flying um obviously that plays well with cloud shift it also plays well with white main lion one in a white for a two two flash when it enters the battlefield return a creature you control to owner's hand
0: yeah so just make not, not quite infinite four fours, but two four fours is basically infinite.
1: Yeah, I, I liked White Main Lion too, as it's a grizzly bear, so like you can play that and you can be happy. Do be aware, this is this is not a May. You have to return a creature when you play it. So like you you can't just run this one out by itself. You're looking to combo it off with something else. Right? If you play it and it's the only creature you have on the battlefield, it's bouncing itself. So you you need to have something that you're happy to bounce to play. It's a decent sideboard card if people are using pacifism style effects or things like that. Um, But like I I wanted to warn people like we're used to this text reading return another target creature or you may return a creature and that's not
0: what this card says. Yeah. Return of the um, the mandatory triggers or the mandatory abilities, which we've seen um, not very much recently, but it was definitely a more popular thing in the past and you can definitely get got by these by these things so be advised all right on to blue then indeed indeed um what's first up for you in blue
1: it's worth mentioning you talked about the pokemon cycle accumulated knowledge is here uh we played with a variant of this in eldritch moon and it turned out to be pretty okay This is a really old school one from like Nemesis, uh, but it's one in a blue instant draw a card, then draw cards equal to the number of accumulated knowledge in all graveyards. So this counts your opponent as well. Uh, One of these is pretty sad. Two of them is still a little sad. Three of them, you're starting to get me interested.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that that it's instant is pretty good. We saw one, what was the one in Shadow's block? Was it a sorcery?
1: You know, it may have been, I know it didn't count your opponent's graveyard was the big thing for me.
0: Right. Yeah, maybe that was the case. And, you know, you just didn't draft that generally unless you had the nut like four of them. Um, so just kind of keep that in mind as you're playing. This one is, is you know, you're, you're pretty sad if you only have two.
1: And there's a, a minor prowess sub theme. Like there's a blue red spells ish deck here that actually reminds me somewhat of the, the shadows and Eldritch moon one. So like, it's going to get better there. It's going to get better with other instance.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, next up for me is I'm, I'm really focusing on the morphs because I really love morph as a mechanic is the brine elemental. So for blue, blue for a five, four morph, the morph cost is five blue, blue. So it's pretty expensive. Um, but if, if you can afford to play it, you can generally afford generally afford to morph it. I would say, when it's turned face up, your each opponent sorry skips his or her next untap step. So it's kind of interesting about this is you can completely end the game on your opponent um, if they tap out on you. Uh, you can prevent them from casting spells. It's pretty expensive, so this probably isn't something that I'm going to end up playing. Um, but, but I could be proven wrong about it. It's just another morph card that I've never played with, so I'm really curious to see how it plays.
1: You're going to play with this one. Is, is it uh, is, is it that good? It's it's pretty good, just because of the low opportunity cost. We're playing a morph. That's fine. Mm-hmm. You happen to flood out? Awesome. Your opponent's skipping their next untapped step. So they swing in thinking, well, I've got them dead in two cracks. Well, no, you don't, and you also don't get your lands. Not to mention it's an infinite combo with Vesuvan Shapeshifter, Your opponent never gets an untap step again for the rest of the game. Um, Check out that card. It's a rare. You're not super likely to see this combo very often, but the combo is in here. So if you happen to open a Vesuvian Shapeshifter and first pick it, which you would do because the card's kind of bonkers, then you are actively looking for a Brian Elemental and tons of mana. Uh, That is a fun zero-sum game. (laughs) <laughs> right there, because you are going to have all of the fun, and your opponent is going to have none of the fun, and they're not going to want to play anymore. Okay, well,
0: you just schooled me on that one, so that's something I'm going to look forward to now.
1: Yeah, look for that one. I also want to remind people not to pray, play Brainstorm in Limited, you need a lot of shuffle effects to make Brainstorm a card that's good. Uh, you're used to seeing it played a lot in old formats where everybody has fetch lands and tops and all sorts of stuff to like shuffle their library over and over if you don't have three or four of those Brainstorm is kind of just like a weird bad cycler uh, so you can play it if you're looking to trigger prowess you can play it if you've got some shuffle effects but don't like put four Brainstorms in a deck and then wonder why you can't win
0: seems fair Um, what else is what else do you have aside from cards that we shouldn't be playing in the in the format.
1: Uh, Coral Helm Guide was always one that I liked from uh, the, the Battle for Zendikar block. It's a, a pretty low cost to put it in here. It's one in a blue for a 2-1, and then you can spend five target creature can't be blocked this turn. So it's a piker to trade off with your opponent's stuff, and then later in the game, you can actually start forcing through a little bit of damage with it. I liked it in BFZ, and I like it here too. Don't pick it highly, but like when this wheels and you're already in blue, go ahead and grab you one.
0: Yeah, um, it's a reasonable mana sink, right? You can start sneaking through a few extra damage each turn. I, I can dig it. Um, we I didn't look to see if, if one toughness was a liability in this format. Did you do any research on that? Uh, I would not say it's a huge liability. I okay. think there was maybe one red card
1: that punished, if I'm remembering correctly. But it, it's not like it's embarrassing to play that. Yeah, there's Spike Shot Elder, okay, um, which everybody's going to play who opens one because it's good but it, it's, it's not like... And it's Spike Shot Goblin, that's the one I'm thinking of. But there's not like a way to super punish you for playing X1s.
0: Okay. Um, this is
1: mainly here to trade off with the Grizzly Bears that the aggressive colors are playing. And then the fact that it has
0: an activated ability that makes it not dead late game I think is pretty good. Okay. Um, kind of do... It'd be a disservice not to mention that Counterspell, just straight up blue-blue counter-target spell is in this format. Um... And it's at common if I'm reading that correctly. Yeah, correct, dear Lord, baby Jesus. Yeah, it's not It's not actually that good. I've, I've played you know, in plenty of
1: formats where counterspell was at common. It it'll feel miserable, but just just recognize that they got you with a bad doom blade when they play it, right? Because Doomblade is way better than counterspell. It can kill something when you top deck it later. Like, and don't get me wrong, it's better than cancel, but like. I'm used to playing in really old formats where Counterspell was at common, and it's not like a deck of eight Counterspells is actually very good.
0: No, not eight, but you know the feeling when they always have it? It's like... Mm -hmm.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: That's what it's going to feel like because this is at common, I think. You know, your opponent is playing blue, and they have two open blue mana. Like, it's going to be hard not to think that they just have Counterspell every single time. Um, And... Counterspell does get pretty good late game. There's a lot of things it can counter, obviously, as, you know, Doomblade has to kill a creature, but Counterspell can counter anything. Um, mm-hmm. And in mid to late game, like, you know, we see cards with cheap, uh, you know, cheap Counterspells in formats past, like Lookouts Dispersal and things like that. I think back to how bad getting anything Lookouts Dispersed was, um, like, how it felt, Except that, you know, near the mid to late game or whatever, I could usually play around it or or afford to pay for it or whatever. But Counterspell, you know, aside from just not playing your cards, playing your second best card every single time, there's really no way to play around it.
1: You can apply enough pressure that then leaving up mana is an actual cost, mm-hmm. right? So that, like, they have to do something before the creatures that you have kill them. And as you mentioned, if you suspect a Counterspell, you can just run out your second best card or your second best threat, and if they don't counter it because they're saving this for something better, you basically just won. If they don't counter it um, because they don't have the spell, then you've kind of sniffed that out. Uh, I actually kind of like the interplay of trying to figure out if they have the counter spell or not. I, I think it's a bit of a skill tester.
0: I completely agree. I just hate when they always have it.
1: It's, yeah, like, God, well, they, it's like
0: God's willing. They always have it.
1: They don't always have it. They, they don't do always have, have it. it. I've always got everything I need right on the top of my deck. It's fine.
0: <laughs> All right. Anyway, just be aware that it's there.
1: A card I'm actually more excited about than Counterspell is Exclude. Uh, Two and a blue for an instant. Counter target creature spell draw a card. This one's a lot easier on the mana because it's not double blue. This is an uncommon rather than a common. And most of what you're looking to counter are creatures. And being able to do that and get your card back uh, while holding up mana for morphs or any other instance that I have just has me really excited. I'm not saying that I won't play a Counterspell. I will I'm just saying that there's a reason this one is uncommon instead of common, and that's because it says draw a card. Those are the three words every magic player longs to hear.
0: It's true, except counter target spell. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Depending on what color you play, I suppose. It's got both of them. It's got both of them. So I'm just never cast I'm never resolving a spell against the blue deck ever. That's kind of what you're no. telling me here.
1: Yeah, you're not. I'm I'm gonna win.
0: Okay. Um, anything else between that and horseshoe crab, or can we just talk about the combo?
1: Ah, uh, it, it, it's worth briefly mentioning that Fathom Seer is really good.
0: Ah, uh, yes. One and a blue for 1-3 Morph. Uh, and the Morph cost is Return 2 Islands You Control to Your Hand. When Fathom Seer is face-up, draw two cards. Yeah. So it's yeah, kind of sweet. It's d- like Gush.
1: Yeah, it's like Gush, or it's a 1-3 Blocker, if that's what you need. Uh, Genju of the Falls is also a, a, a le- very late-game card, but it's blue for an Enchant Island, Spend two, that island becomes a three-two blue flyer. Uh, and when that island dies, the enchantment goes to your hand. So like late game, you're just basically sending three in the air every turn, and it's almost impossible for them to deal with. So like this is kind of like a finisher for your blue decks. It's it, it's deceptive because it has that one mana symbol on it. You're like, oh, it's a one drop. It, it's not a one drop, uh, but it's still quite a good card. Now you can talk about Horseshoe Crab.
0: Okay, so... Horseshoe, tra- Horseshoe Crab plus Retraction Helix. Uh, They're both common. Horseshoe Crab is 2 and a blue for a 1-3. With the activated ability of blue, untap Horseshoe Crab, and you're like, well, geez, David, why would I play a 1-3 three for 3 mana that has the ability to untap? Well, the reason you would do that is because Retraction Helix is in the format, which is blue for an instant. Until end of turn, target creature gains tap, return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand. With this two card combo and a little bit of blue mana, you can essentially machine gun your entire or your opponent's entire board back to their hand. Um, And then obviously have a one, three horseshoe crab that gets to attack them.
1: Yeah. Dream a little bigger. I want to put Quicksilver dagger on this one blue, red for an enchant creature. Enchanted creature has tap. This creature deals one damage to target player. You draw a card or better yet heavy arbalest Uh, three for an artifact equip four, Equipped creature doesn't untap during its controller's untap step and has tap to damage to target creature or player. Both of those just kill your opponent or you draw you infinite cards or nuke their board. Uh, but the, the point remains, there's a lot of stuff you can do with this little crab.
0: Yeah. Take the horseshoe crab first and look for the combo pieces.
1: Yeah. I like it.
0: Yeah. And they're common. At least these two that I looked at, like the retraction helix, helix, horseshoe crab are common. So, um, people are going to be fighting over it, I would say, if they know that they're, they're blue. Um, but it should be pretty easy to pick up a couple of pieces. It's like Splinter Twin, except cheap.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and a little bit easier to interact with.
0: That's true. That's true. It's, you know, the the retraction helix is for one turn only, right? Whereas the equipment uh and the Quicksilver dagger is in a, uh, an aura, right? Yeah. So that those are a little more permanent. Um So, you know, you can have your cheap kind of win the game in one turn combo hopefully or expensive and kind of win the game over multiple turns either way horseshoe crab is the driver of that bus
1: it is indeed it is indeed we've got four cards in a row that i think are all wonderful cards and blue looks great mana wars back two and a blue for a two two enters the battlefield return target creature to its owner's hand
0: Mm-hmm. great card
1: merfolk looter one in the blue for a one-one, tap, draw a card, then discard a card.
0: Everybody's favorite merfolk.
1: Hashtag always loot.
0: <laughs> always murder loot except of... when it's always loot except when it's correct not to.
1: Correct. Exactly. See, Dave gets me. Uh, murder of Crows. Three blue blue for a four four flying when another creature dies. Loot.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean uh <laughs> all of that's these cards an air are
1: elemental with upside it is an air elemental with upside one of my favorite morphs from cons mystic of the hidden way uh it's a morph unmorphs for two and a blue three two unblockable uh, you can also just cast it as a five mana three two unblockable
0: yeah that was an annoying card and now it's at common i believe it was an uncommon before
1: i think it was a common there too but i don't you, remember though. it doesn't matter
0: either way it's an annoying card um it's and really which good. it's really good so blue looks amazing so far
1: yeah and we haven't even talked about sw- uh sift yet which is three and a blue for a sorcery draw three cards then discard a card so like that's that's four mana look at three cards keep the two best uh that's that's just a really good card draw and then we've also got shoreline ranger which is the island cycler five and a blue for a three fo- three four flying with island cycling I am very excited to play blue in this
0: format. Blue looks blue looks sharp. Um, you know, there, there's some neat combos here. There's some decent, well, obviously counter spells, control style cards. You got some good tempo cards. There, yeah, there's some cool cards in blue. I look forward to playing it.
1: It also feels like blue of old, and that there's not any blue removal. That used to be something that blue and green just didn't get. You had to play the Mardu colors to get removal, and there's not any kind of claustrophobia variant in here, right? So, like, you're going to have to either counter their spells or use another color for your removal, and blue's just going to do the good things that blue usually does.
0: Mm-hmm. I guess that's where your counter spells come in, yeah. Okay. On to black. Let's keep this train rolling. Um. So first up for me, Dark Ritual is here. Now, the reason it's first up for me is because it's not a card that I've played with in limited outside of cube, and even then I've only ever played it in something that was trying to resemble a storm deck. Is this a card that, you know, I look at it and think to myself, hey, this is a powerful card. Is it as powerful as it seems in a a limited format such as this, or is it kind of just middling to average? um, You know, what are you powering out with a dark ritual, basically?
1: This is essentially like the Blood Mist of old formats, right? Like, if you could combo a Dark Ritual on turn two into a four drop, there were times where your opponent couldn't deal with it and you won. There were other times where they were just like, sure, Swords to Plowshares, and you can't win. So it's a very high variance strategy to try to stack these and then look for really good threes, fours, or potentially even fives to cast out with it. Uh, you can also play it in the deck with a lot of card draw, to kind of recoup doing it, but then you've kind of like built your own weird divination or cycling. So like for me, I'm not usually going for Dark Ritual. It's cool. I like that they reprinted it. I'm not going to pick this super highly, Um, but you can if you want to. And there are some worthwhile things to try to ramp out a little quickly.
0: Right. So Phryxian
1: Obliterator is probably the biggest one for me, but it's like a mythic, so I I don't know how often you're actually going to get that.
0: Sure. So... You know, I I can just see people looking at this card and thinking, oh, wow, sweet, Dark Ritual. I know how powerful that is in in other formats. And it's, you know, not necessarily so in this case.
1: I mean, one of the reasons it's here is this used to be a common in every Magic set from when I started playing and revised all the way through, like, Mm -hmm. to when I took my break. Like, you were just used to this being a common in black. And it's kind of neat to see it reprinted. Okay. What do you have
0: uh, as a key card in black on your list.
1: It's worth noting that Death's Head Buzzard is in the format. Uh, one black black for a 2-1 flyer. When it dies, all creatures get neg one, neg one until end of turn. That's your dudes and their dudes. You had asked about ways to punish X-1s, and this is one of them. Now, it's also not a format with Battle Screech or like farting out a million tokens, uh, although it will get your your little uh, Squadron Hawk dudes. So just be aware that this is here. Um, the first, like subtly powerful card is dirge of dread. Uh this doesn't look like it's as good as it is and this card is exceptionally powerful. Two in so- a black sorcery all creatures gain fear until end of turn. Cycling one in a black when you cycle it you may have target
0: creature gain fear until end of turn. So the reason this is powerful if I can explain it here, if I understand correctly, is it's a modal card. Uh, Mode one, win the game. Mode two, if you're stuck on land early, draw a card and sneak in for a couple of points of damage.
1: Yes, but I mean, uh, imagine for a minute, like Falter is one of those cards that when MTG Goldfish was tracking stats, it had like a 90% win rate because you don't cast it. That was Creatures Without Flying can't block this turn. You don't cast it unless you're going to win right? But there was this cost of putting it in your deck, because, well, what if the board state's not good for it? With Dirge of Dread, there's no concern there. If the board state's not good for it, cycle it. Get in some damage anyway, because you still get the effect on one of your dudes while you're drawing a card. So it's like, just, hey, put a free falter in black in your deck, and there's absolutely zero deck construction cost for this.
0: That's why modal spells are so good, right? <laughs> is, yeah, is the options it, and, and the, the the way that it plays early, late, mid game, it, it all matters. And this kind of checks all of those boxes. So,
1: And for those who haven't played in a long time, fear is uh, creature cannot be blocked except by artifact creatures and or black creatures. So if you're playing against an opponent who's also playing black, they may be able to block these. If they have some artifact creatures, they may be able to block them. Uh, but if you're playing, you know, against a green-red opponent,
0: they're really not going to be able to block anything when you play this. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of good removal, obviously, in black. Right? We've got Diabolic Edict, which is is probably okay. It's probably better in some matchups and limited than others. Um, that's one in the black for an instant target player sacrifices a creature. You've got Disfigure, which is, um, you know, good against Dorks and things like that. Uh, black for an instant target creature gets minus two, minus two until end of turn. Uh, plus, we've got Murder. I believe I'm just scrolling down. here. Yeah. Murder. One black, Murder's black for instant, common. and it's a common. and It's destroy target creatures. So, three you know solid removal spells. Obviously, some of them are situational, um, but you know Murder, you'd be happy in any deck. Obviously, so there's some good cards for for black in removal.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely.
0: Would expect nothing less. What else do you have for for black?
1: We've got a couple. Uh, so, so buckle in. There's Mesmeric Fiend. Uh, which is one in the black for 1-1. One, one. When it enters the battlefield, uh, target opponent reveals their hand. You choose a non Land card from it. Exile it. When Mesmeric Fiend leaves the battlefield, return the exiled card to its owner's hand. This card would be fine on its own, but it shares that old templating that Fiend Hunter had. So again, if you play this and sack it with the trigger on the stack, the card's just gone forever. And there's wonderful ways to sacrifice things in black, starting with Fallen Angel, which is 3 black black for a 3-3 three, three flyer. Sacrifice a creature, Fallen Angel gets plus 2, plus 1 until end of turn. This is a way to kind of like, if you can get this in, just sack your team and kill your opponent, as well as having a sac- uh, sacrifice effect just laying there is great. And um, We've also got Phyrixian Ghoul, 2 and a black for a 2-2. Two, two. Sacrifice a creature, Phyrixian Ghoul gets plus 2, plus 2 until end of turn.
0: So there's your Sacrifice, your Aristocrats sub-theme. I believe there's actually also a Zulaport Cutthroat, one in a black for a 1-1 one, one whenever it or another creature you control dies. Each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. So there's a bit of a sub-theme here, whether you're playing tokens or I assume that there's active Treason effects oh, in yeah. red um, or, or, you know, with the Mesmeric Fiend or the Fiend Hunter kind of combos here. You have, you have options um, and there's some pretty good ones in, in this Aristocrats-style deck
1: yeah yeah so there's some good stuff to do there uh we've also got ravenous chupacabra i don't have to talk too much about that because we have just played with it in rivals uh but it's going to be pretty dang good here uh supernatural stamina is our black combat trick we remember this one from amon cat the creature gets plus two plus oh when it dies it returns to the battlefield tapped uh try casting this on a ravenous chupacabra i think you'll be happy with the results
0: Absolutely. Yeah, that's, not, that's something we didn't necessarily get to do because they weren't in the same block. I take for granted that, uh, that Chupacabra and Supernatural Stamina is an awesome, hilarious combo.
1: Yeah, and there's just tons of other things you can do with it too. Like we talked about the Urbrus Protector. There's plenty of inner the Battlefield abilities. So being able to combine all of those together I think is really good.
0: I agree. Anything else? I guess there's Zombify, but I don't know. really know that there's much of a uh, Reanimator theme here. Uh, That's three and a black for a sorcery return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield.
1: I think it's actually the shoreline ranger that is being zombified in that picture. So it's kind of telling you what you're supposed to do if you want to use this card and that cycle something and then zombify it
0: and then zombify Uh, it.
1: Yeah. And that's a little, little bit too cute for me, but I mean, the card's not bad.
0: It's pretty expensive. Like generally when you're playing a reanimator, you're playing in cube. Um and so, so it so it does feel a little expensive, but that's that's what you get in this format if if you want to do that kind of shenanigan. So it can be okay. Um, there's just not a ton of support for it outside of those cyclers and like a looter, for example. Okay. Anything else in black? Just carry on right into red.
1: Yeah, let's go right on into
0: red. Um, first up in red for me is I actually have to scroll all the way down for it here, but uh, it's Kindle it's part of the catch them all series one in a red for an instant Kindles deals x damage to target creature or player where x is two plus the number of cards named kindle in all graveyards so if i know this correctly the first one is two the second one is three right the first one is not three correct okay so it does two then three then four but it counts all graveyards so if you're lucky enough that your opponent is also playing kindles you can probably get into this kind of like well i can burn you but if i burn you and you respond to it i guess it doesn't really work that way but anyway it can get out of control in a red matchup given that it's common. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's certainly an interesting card and it's a good card as well. So I skipped a bunch. I'm sure I skipped a lot of your cards here, but what do you have in red?
1: Active treason is worth mentioning because we just went through all of the black sacrifice effects. Um, so like if you enjoyed the format where you could, you know, have an Entuko husk and active of treason their dude and kill it, that's fantastic. You'll be able to do that here. Um, I didn't mention the Black Land Cycler, uh, but it's it's there. There's the Red Land Cycler here, the Chartooth Cougar. This was actually one of my favorite ones to hard cast because it's a 6-mana 4-4 four, four with Fire Breathing. Um, so I, I was usually pretty happy with that. We've got Abs of Treason. 3 and a red for a 3-2. When it enters the battlefield, gain control of target creature and opponent controls with power 2 or less. Uh, it gains haste until end of turn. You can play that with the sack effects. Um... I was also usually pretty happy with Crimson Mage, uh, and it's here at Common. 1 in red for a 2-1 red target creature you control gains haste until end of turn. You can use that on itself and cast it on turn 3 and attack with it, and then just kind of have it sit there as a Goblin Piker that's you know sort of doing extra work for you. Uh, Hordling Outburst is here uh, at Common. So 1 red red creates 3 1-1 one, one red Goblin creature tokens, That goes in your Sack deck or just any red deck that's looking to get instant board presence. Uh, Humble Defector at Uncommon is one in red for a 2-1. Tap it, draw two cards, target opponent gains control of Humble Defector, activate this ability only during your turn. So you can play this as a Piker, get in some damage, tap it with the ability on the stack, sack it to your Phyrexian Ghoul, and just draw your cards and enjoy.
0: I remember playing with this or, or seeing it being played in the Fate Reforged set. And it wasn't that good because I don't think there were a lot of sacrifice effects. Like, generally exactly. speaking, your opponent was getting the Humble Defector and then drawing two cards on it. So unless you took advantage of the two cards that you drew immediately, your opponent was going to catch up fairly quickly. Um, but yeah, this goes... I never thought about that. This goes really well in that Aristocrat-style deck. Yeah, there's a black red sack deck, and I think it's good. I think it is, too, especially with the hoardling Outbursts, because... Like those guys can chump and sack, like, there's so much you can do with that. Hmm, we might have found it. We might have found our first kind of widely supported sub theme, like, that actually stands out to me.
1: Fallen Angel and a Hordling Outburst, you can slam your opponent for like what two, four, six, eight, nine the next turn. Like, that's not asking a lot. Mm -hmm. And then when I went through the set review, I was kind of surprised at how many people didn't get how powerful Iron Shaman is. It was one of my favorite morphs from dragons. Uh, It's one in red for a 2-1 menace. Sold. It also has morph. You can unmorph it for red, put a plus one, plus one counter on it, exile the top card of your library until end of turn you may play that card. So, like, I'm happy with the 2-1 menace for two, and then the fact that I can get a 3-2 menace later and an additional card potentially, that's great!
0: The upside of this is that it's so cheap to, to flip right, to, to cast the Megamorph, so it's four mana to do it, um, and because you can do it, like, for only a single red to unmorph it, it leaves a lot of mana open, generally speaking, for the top card of your library to be played. We see these effects sometimes where the ability is expensive to do, um, or it doesn't play lands, for example, right, so if, so if you if you spend three mana and flip the top card of your library, and you look at it, and it's a land, and you can't play it, you feel real bad, or if it's a six mana spell and you can't play it, you also feel real bad. The odds of those go way down with a card like this. Plus a 3-2 menace is kind of dumb.
1: Yeah. I'm Not that a 2-1 menace for two is bad. Like it's just whatever you do with this card, it's going to be good.
0: I, I would probably lean more to morphing it and, and trying to flip it than I would playing it as a two drop. But if you don't have a two drop, I guess you're playing this and, and you're not sad about it. Just because I think the upside of flipping it and hitting something, especially a land on like turn four, is pretty good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Generally speaking, if I have any other two drop or I'm not looking to be particularly aggressive, I'd rather wait on it. But the, the fact that you can doesn't make it bad.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um,
1: so anything after Kindle that had you particularly interested?
0: I mean, obviously Lightning Bolt is here. Uh, it's an uncommon, yeah. um, but it's, it's classic three damage for one red. Just be aware that that exists removal is very good here um mog flunkies is a card that i like um at least i have in the past so it's one and a red for a three three the downside is is it can't attack or block alone but if you're playing hordling outbursts or you're playing other red aggressive cards you could do a lot worse than a two mana three three
1: yeah it's it's a it's an absolutely fine card Mm -hmm. um I wanted to make sure that we got a look at Pyrehound because I think this is a plant here for a blue red spells deck and what you're wanting to do with accumulated knowledge. Uh, it's three and a uh, red for a two three trample with a mega prowess. When you cast an instant or sorcery, put a plus one plus one counter on it.
0: Mega prowess.
1: Exactly. Like it's wanting you to do the exact same thing we did in Shadow's Block with this.
0: Yeah, and it was pretty good in Shadows if you could get the deck to come together. Um, the fact that this is at common means that you should be able to easily get a couple of these. Um, if you liked Kiln Fiend decks of, like, Conspiracy formats past or other Masters, I think there was a Kiln Fiend deck in one of the last two uh, Masters formats. This is right up your alley and probably even better. Um, yeah, plays really well with Kindles, Accumulated Knowledge, any number of instant spells, and if your opponent can't answer this, it can get out of control very quickly. Once it gets to five toughness, it becomes very rare that that damage-based removal can deal with it. Like, it's out of lightning bolt range, range. It's out of uh, Chandra's outrage range. Um, obviously, it starts out of pyroclasm range. So there's there's a lot of good things to be said about Pyrehound.
1: Yeah, the first Kindle doesn't kill it either. So, like, I, I like Pyrehound a lot.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, You should note that Pyroclasm is here. One and a red deal two damage to everything. That's pretty important to know. Uh, It'll deal with tokens. It'll deal with white weenie decks. It'll deal with a lot of stuff early. Um, How happy are you to get just a two for one out of this card? You're pretty happy, right?
1: I'm happy to get a one for one out of this card. A two for one I'm over the moon
0: about. Mm -hmm. So, and and yeah, it's very good. It's uncommon. So you're not going to see it all the time, but um, be advised that it is there.
1: Uh, Spike Shot Goblin we need to be aware of, too. This is two and a red for a 1-2. You can spend red, tap it. It deals damage equal to its power to target creature or player. You do not need to augment its power for this to be good. This is just a pinger, right? So being able to ping your opponent end of turn, kill any of their X1s, or add an extra damage in. Like, now all of a sudden I can attack with a 3-3 three, three into your 4-4, four, four, and either you're going to take four damage, three from the creature, one from this... Or I'm going to trade my 3-3 three, three for your 4-4 four, four and get to keep this. Add into that that if I augment its power, it gets even better, and we're starting to talk. Uh, this is a high-value card.
0: Done. I mean, pingers are always good, and the fact that this goes to creatures, I think, is something that some people might overlook if they've only started recently. Like you, yeah. we're, I think we're used to seeing cards that either go face or go to creatures, not necessarily to both. Yeah. So,
1: yeah. yeah eight, there's a reason plus. it's uncommon
0: here. It, it's, it's good and you should pick them early. Sweet. That's it for red for me. Same. All right. Green. Man, I love green. I always love green. And I love green in this format too. Yeah, there's some good stuff here. There's some good stuff here. Um, what's your take on Inox Survivalist then in this format? We've seen a f- decent number of auras. Um, so it's one and a green for 2 1 with Megamorph. Uh, it's like Mega. It's like morph, but just mega. Uh, the more, mega morph cost on it is uh, one and a green. And when it's turned face up, you destroy target artifact or enchantment and opponent control. So Reclamation Sage um, as a 3-2 for five mana, but that's not too bad. Um, I remember playing with this and frequently if it had a target, I would play it and flip it immediately.
1: I mean, it's it's five mana, but it's over the course of an installment plan and and I can just play it out as a piker, right?
0: Mm-hmm. You can always play it on two. You can play it on three. You can play it on ter- on five and flip it immediately. Um, it's It's got a few different modes. And generally speaking, there are probably targets for it in most of the decks you'll face.
1: And if there's not, it's such a low cost to have played it, right? When I flip it, it's a 3-2. So mm-hmm. like, there's, there's just no downside for this. I always want one of these in my green decks. And I probably would play up to three and be quite tickled about it. There's some really annoying artifacts in this set too. So like just being able to, to interact with all of that as well as randomly host pacifism sounds great to me.
0: Yeah, c- cards like this that are morph cards that are good on their own and have this extra utility. Um, I like playing with other good morph cards because once your opponents, like if your opponents know you have one morph card, you know, you didn't, you didn't show anything else in game one. You showed one powerful morph card they're going to nuke it right away, right? If they have the opportunity, because like, I can't take the risk that you're going to blow me out with this morph again. But if you get to like mix in some some of these like, you know, okay morph cards that have upside utility in some situations, I think make your other morphs that much better because now your opponent has to play the guessing game. So mm-hmm. do you nuke my my turn three morph? I've shown you a survivalist and I've shown you, you know, a, a good morph. What is it? Skirt Commando, let's yeah. say. And it's like, you're playing that shell game. It's like, do I, do I nuke this? Did you play it out because you're okay with it being removed? Or did you play it out because it's your good one? Like, anytime you can get your opponent second-guessing themselves, I think is a good thing. So, you know, I would play a lot of these, especially if I had other good morph cards. Um, I think these just go up in value when you have that. I know, I also want to mention this. I know our target audience is mostly online
1: players. If you happen to be a paper player or you're going to a paper draft and you have not played with morphs before... At the end of the game, you need to reveal any morphs that have not been flipped over to your opponent. This is to prevent cheating so that people don't just, you know, play an island as a scathed zombie. And in addition, uh, there was one more thing I was thinking. Oh, when you're looking at your own morphs, which you can do, be very careful when you're lifting them up so that you're not revealing the card to your opponent. I would usually grab them by the base and then just lift them up if I needed to remember what the card was and like it's okay to cup
0: them or something like that so that your opponent doesn't get to see what you're looking at mm-hmm. all good points that we don't have to worry about on magic online praise be magic online hallelujah um arbor elf Heck he's back yeah. what? single green for a one one untapped target forest and it's got the the, the text is centered in the card there's no flavor text
1: it looks I, nice i like this you, card Utopia Sprawl is in the set. Ooh. So that's green enchant forest when it this enters the battlefield choose a color when the forest is tapped for mana its controller adds one mana of the chosen color to his or her mana pool, meaning my arbor elf could produce four mana. That is that is spicy. Yeah, that's a spicy meatball and it's fine by itself, you don't have to combo it with that.
0: Uh, so just one mana ramp is great. And this is a comment. I like that all of these powerful Cards. I mean, not overly powerful, but like consistently powerful cards are at common, it seems. Um, Bolting the bird is going to be something that happens a lot in this format.
1: Yeah, I hope so.
0: What else has you excited about green?
1: Uh, Cultivate the green divination. Mm -hmm. Uh, Two and a green, search your library for two basic land cards, reveal them, put one into the battlefield tapped and the other into your hand, then shuffle your library. So this is a green divination. It's just getting you lands. One of them goes right into play and then it makes sure you've got your land drop for next turn. So it takes you straight from three to five guaranteed.
0: It's a good way to play your splash. Uh, it ramps you. It, it You hit your next land drop. Everything's good about this.
1: Yeah. So generally speaking, I like Cultivate. Uh, we got to mention Elvish Aberration. That's the Forest Cycler. Uh, five and a green for a four, five that taps for three green mana. You're again, mainly playing this to make sure that you hit that land drop. Uh, But if you're looking to get excessive amounts of mana, and there's a few reasons to do that, not many, but a few, you'll be able to do that via Elvish Aberration. Mm -hmm. Uh, I also thought it was worth mentioning Ember Weaver. Uh, This was a card that kind of surprised me with how strong it looked to me. Uh, It's 2 and a green for a 2-3 reach. I'm pretty happy with that. As long as you control a red permanent, it gets plus 1, plus 0, and has First Strike. 3-3
0: 3 3 First Striker. And it's I mean, if you're playing green red, obviously it's easy to have a red permanent. There's all sorts of cheap ones. That's a that's a spicy card. Yeah. Like I didn't even I didn't even know this was a card. Like this is completely foreign to me.
1: I d same. same i would never seen it before. I have no idea what set it's out of. Um but it, it looks fantastic to me if you're green red. You need to be green red to, to really take advantage of it. Although I'd be fine with the two three reach for three anyway.
0: We've played two, three reaches before and been okay with it, so...
1: Yeah, be aware if you've only got one red permanent and they blow it up, you're going to lose your first strike or whatever, so that, I mean, that could be a thing, but it looks really strong to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got Epic Confrontation at common. One in a green, Sorcery, target creature you control, gets plus one, plus two until end of turn, and fights target creature you don't control.
0: Oh, I love that card in Dragons. Yeah, Dragon Punch. Dragon Punch... Is awesome. This is your I mean this is your green removal that's not a combat trick, and it's the fact that it gives toughness, I think that's what makes this so good.
1: Are there any good green combat tricks in the format?
0: Hmm. Perhaps one at common and perhaps another one at uncommon. Do you prefer your combat tricks to be cheap or free? Cheap or free with upside in the right deck. I'll take the free with upside. Yeah, both of them are very good though. We've got giant growth for a single green. Uh, Target creature gets plus three, plus three until end of turn. Invigorate is two and a green, but you're probably not casting it for its uh, mana cost. If you control a forest rather than paying the mana cost, you may have target opponent gain three life. Target creature gets plus four, plus four until end of turn.
1: I just want to point out one little wombo combo with that. Um, Where's the Kavu guy?
0: Oh, that that gets plus one, plus one whenever your opponent gains life?
1: Yeah. Kavu Predator. Uh, one to green for a two-two trample. Whenever an opponent gains life, put that many plus one plus one counters on Kavu Predator. So if you have <laughs> so a Kavu Predator in play, and it you completely cast...
0: negates. Yeah,
1: <laughs> right. It completely
0: negates the life gain.
1: Yeah, even if you're not playing it on this guy, you just built a five-five trample. So like, that's a cute little combo, and you'd already play a Grizzly Bear. You'd already play
0: a free combat trick. So the fact that you can combo them together is just nice. Yeah, that's. I guess there's your green removal. Green is doing green things. Hmm. Um. Well, I I kind of ran out of steam after that. I was like, Ooh, I need a I need a break here. I need a breather. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, no, but you've got and Tusker. So this was in um, what uh, what format was it recently? Where you loved it?
1: Uh there was a version of it in Ammon Cat, but it wasn't as good as this. It one. It wasn't as good. Or this, this isn't is an, as good. No, this is better. This is another green divination. Because um, the other one only worked with deserts. This is two and a green. I, it, I, I guess I'll read the card, and then I'll tell you what you're actually supposed to do with it. It's five green green for a six five. That's not what you're supposed to do with it. It has cycling for two and a green. When you cycle it, search your library for a basic land card, reveal it, put it in your hand, and shuffle the li- your library. So it's a divination that always draws you a land.
0: Right, and the one in Amonkhet was drawing a desert, right?
1: It was it was drawing a basic or a desert. I think it was four to cycle it, but it was
0: cheaper to cast. Right. Okay. It's been a while, but this one I'm much happier to cycle. Yeah. Um again, just being able to hit your land drops, especially in green, is very good.
1: Agree. I think it is worthwhile to mention that LOL is in this set. Um that's one in a green for an instant prevent all combat damage that would be dealt this turn with Cycling 2, uh, that turns Fog from a card you're not interested in playing to a card that you may actually play because you can just cycle it away when it's bad. I- I'm not necessarily saying that you should play it every time. I did play Haze of Pollen on occasion in Ammon Cat Block, and I think if you do 100 drafts, you'll end up doing one where you have a main deck lull. Just be aware that if your opponent's playing like they have a Fog, they may
0: actually have one. Yeah, and it's, it's of little not little cost but little cost compared to what a fog normally would be yeah agree uh rancor man i <laughs> yeah. love I, I have my original Rancors somewhere around here um single green for an aura enchant creature gets plus two plus zero and has trample and when rancor is put into the graveyard from the battlefield return rancor to its owner's hand so unless your opponent removes it no sorry unless your opponent removes the creature that this is going on before the creature before it sticks Rancor just keeps coming back to your hand and it's great. Throw it on tokens, throw it on anything. You don't care. You're just attacking and blocking and who cares? You're just getting through tons of damage with it. And it's an uncommon. So we're pretty lucky that it's an uncommon this time, not a common.
1: And, and let's correct that a little bit. If they kill the creature that you're putting this on. Um, oh, you're, you're correct. It does have to leave the battlefield. So that's actually the only way to get it to stick in the graveyard is to kill the thing when they cast it. You can't ad- interact with it any other way. Like, if you untap and kill the creature, that's not good enough.
0: Yeah, but you can't even disenchant this thing because it just comes back. So you have mm-hmm. to deal with the creature before the Rancor sticks. That's the key, and it can be so annoying to do so. Um, and, potentially, if they do get rid of it, you can always just regrowth it back with uh, <laughs> one and a green sorcery return target card from your graveyard to your hand. I got to play with this in cube the other day. It's, it's pretty good in cube, Um it's only as good as the cards that are in your graveyard, obviously, but generally speaking, if you're playing good cards in your deck, you've got good cards in your graveyard,
1: yeah, the thing you want to keep in mind about regrowth and limited is that you can put as many basic lands in your deck as you don't like. you
0: don't you give me that? no no, no, no no no, no no, no, no. uh we've it, played cards um obviously like a card like Wander and Death gets you two cards, uh you know, which is grim why it was captain's good. grim captain's call, which would give you you two cards, but like which is why it was good. But regrowth, regrowth can buy back anything. So assuming that you have quality cards, bombs in your deck, um, regrowth is just, like, draw your best card.
1: No, it's it's not even close to that. Uh, this is a raised Dead. Like, we've seen that effect in old magic sets before. The reason this is good in cube is because there's, like, every card in your deck is a bomb. Like, in this format, yeah, there's some bombs, but, like, there's a lot of cards we're skipping over. And you have to have had something. You have to have had something die first before you can even activate it. I will not draft or, or play a regrowth in this format under, unless it's under very extreme circumstances.
0: It's like a second copy of your good
1: removal spells. If you've already second, drawn it and cast it,
0: which quite frequently you do, right? If you only have one murder in your deck, a regrowth is potentially a second murder. Second swords to the plowshares. There's all sorts of things this could be. Uh, I, I think, I think it's fine. I don't think it's as bad as you say, obviously it's not as good, nearly as good as it is in cube. Um, but I think there's a lot of good cards you can buy back with this specifically. I would not be ashamed to play one of these in my deck.
1: The the only argument I have with regrowth is that it is absolutely miserable in your opener. If I could guarantee that this was the 20th card in my deck every single time, or if it had cycling, for example, then I would just shove this in every deck. Uh, I I think that's what made cards like wonder and death so good. It had cycling and it got back two creatures. I was pretty happy with that. Whereas paying a premium to to get back something out of my graveyard. I don't think that's as good. Obviously I'd rather just have another copy of whatever removal spell it is. I'm trying to get back and I understand that you can't get that every time, but I, I actively dislike regrowth as a card and don't want to play it.
0: Okay. That's fair. I disagree.
1: We'll fight over this one we'll fight yeah
0: um anything else i guess timber pack wolf if we're going to finish the catch all cycle this is not the best but it's one of my favorite i think types of these cards is one in a green for a two two and it gets plus one plus one for each other timber pack wolf you control the reason i like it so much is because if you have like 19 of them it's it's basically pack rat yeah um no, but I mean, as a 2-mana as a two 2-2, two, two, you could do a lot worse. And if you just have happen to have 2 in in your opening hand, you know, 2 2-mana two 3-3s three, is, is pretty good. Um, other than that, it's not that great. Like, you don't want to go... Like, you're not going to be able to go all in on them. You're not going to be able to get 6 of them. I guess if you had 6, it'd be pretty good, though.
1: 5 was the highest total I ever got to in its original set. And they were pretty dang good.
0: 5 seems pretty good, but I mean... you're not ashamed to play this if you need a two drop if you only have one and then if you're playing one and you have a second one it's just you know it's not quite double the value but like if in the scenarios where you have them both in your opening hand it's so much better um than just any other random two mana two two so
1: yeah the advantage here is of the you gotta catch them all cycles this is the one that like you can just play one of and it's okay exactly so there's there's just no downside to it It's also worth mentioning Wild Heart Invoker. This is... I love this card. Two green green for a 4-3. Sold. Eight. Target creature gains plus five, plus five, and gains Trample until end of turn. It's any creature, not this one. So yeah, that's way overcosted. but you may have noticed there's a lot of great ramp in green. This is a solid creature for you to slam on turn four, and then if you happen to flood out, here's something
0: to do with your mana. Perfect.
1: Yeah, I'm on board.
0: All right. So that takes us through all the monocolor cards. Um, is there anything you really wanted to quickly touch on and in the artifacts of the multicolor cards?
1: Uh, there's a couple at Uncommon that I just wanted to kind of touch briefly. Uh, Baloth null is the regrowth I can get behind at four black green for a four five. When it enters the battlefield, return two car- target creature cards from your graveyard to your hand. That's kind of disgusting. Uh, bear in mind, all of these gold cards are a little bit easier to splash if you're taking those land cyclers highly. So, like, this can go in your green deck or your black deck. Uh, we've got Cloud Blazer at 3 blue-white for a 2-2 flyer. When it enters the battlefield, gain 2 life and draw 2 cards. That's it, Uncommon. Uh, good to we, flicker. We played, yeah, we've, it's good to flicker. We've played this before. It's It's actually quite good. We've got Shadow Mage Infiltrator at Uncommon. Uh, one blue-black for a 1-3 can only be blocked by artifact or black creatures when it deals combat damage to a player. Draw a card. Sign me up. Uh, and then as far as getting into the artifacts, uh, there's Prophetic Prism, which is a relatively low-cost artifact to play to fix your mana. Uh, it's two, enters the battlefield, draw a card, one, and tap it, add a mana of any color to your mana pool. So this plus the land cyclers are just giving you like... Some really fantastic um, fixing in the set at a relatively low cost. Trapper Keeper is here. uh, Treasure Keeper. Four for a 3-3. When it dies, reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a non-land card with converted mana cost three or less. You may cast it without paying its mana cost. Uh, Bear in mind, this doesn't play particularly well with counterspells, but other than that, it's pretty darn good. You're always going to get a 2-for-1 when you play it if you're able to trade it off for a card. Uh, and then we've got Ash Barons, which is a, another just tremendous fixer in the land slot. Uh, it's a land that taps for a colorless and has basic land cycling for one. This is just a better Traveler's Amulet for your deck because if you just need a colorless land, you can just play it.
0: Yeah, that's that one's... I, I'm disappointed that I didn't notice that. I didn't actually go to the lands, but that is like really powerful. We always, you know, you, you play evolving Wilds and this is, you know better in a lot of scenarios than an evolving wilds would be so the fact that you can tap it for mana and get anything it's kind of great it's like the best of both worlds it is
1: and i always like to point out in formats where mishra's factory exists uh this is a colorless land you can tap it for colorless you can spend one to make it a 2-2 assembly worker there's some other assembly workers in the sets too you can also tap it to give target assembly worker plus one plus one until end of turn if you activate this and block with it and then tap itself, you can turn it into a 3-3. Three, three. So you can eat grizzly bears with this, and sometimes your opponents won't be aware that you can do
0: that. Yeah, you'll get your opponents once with it and then never again. I do like that the self-assembler yeah. and the um, the other one, the one that taps to uh, target assembly worker creature, gets plus one plus one till end of turn. It's called Assembly Worker. It's called Assembly Worker. Um, That's kind of cool. That means that uh, there's a little bit of a three-card sub-theme here as well. So I think that's pretty sweet.
1: Yeah, it's it's the You Gotta Catch Them All Artifact Edition.
0: I like it. Cool. So I will admit, I'm not too shamed, not not too proud, sorry, to admit that uh, I didn't think that this format looked very good when I saw some of the spoilers initially. Uh, After going through card by card and kind of seeing all of the... um, all of the mini archetypes play out and the color combos and things like that. I am interested in drafting this now. Um, I will play phantom exclusively. I think, I think the price point on phantom is pretty good. It's just like cube. So, uh, so I will not poo poo this set until I've drafted it a few times.
1: I don't think I'm going to poo poo it even after I've drafted it a few times. This looks fantastic to me. It's got everything I want in the limited environment.
0: Although I do agree
1: with Dave, the value proposition here is not uh, beneficial to you to play this uh, for, for packs. Just play the Phantom ones and enjoy a good draft format.
0: Absolutely. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up there. So um, hopefully we have some good experiences. We can come back next week and we can talk about it. And hopefully we don't hate ourselves after drafting it and not want to talk about the format at all. <laughs> I'd really like to have some stuff to talk about between now and Area.
1: Yeah, I think this is a good one, man.
0: Absolutely. So thanks again for listening. Uh, thanks again to Mana Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com for the hosts. Travis, where can they find you and your streamer showdown on Thursday? You can find
1: me at twitch.tv slash or on Twitter under the same name. I'm at Simulan.
0: I'm twitch.tv slash DCivilian and Twitter of the same. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you next time.
1: Bye-bye.